Thanks, Chandra. And I wonder as we gather today, who is Jesus to you today? And I, and I know that some of you might have been believers for a long, long time, but who is Jesus to you today? Are you still walking with him? Are you still allowing him to change you from the inside out? Are you being transformed? Are you being obedient? I know today it was awesome to celebrate baby dedication with the Howell family. That's amazing for Cooper. It's awesome to see those, that first step of faith for a family. Also, it was amazing to celebrate baptism today with Aubrey. So congratulations to her entire family and all her friends. That's amazing. I can see these two families taking their next step of faith with the Lord. And I just want to ask all of us, are all of us ready to take our next step of faith? And what is that? You know, if you're a pretty mature believer and you've been following the Lord for a long time, well, that's excellent. But God's not done with you. He still wants you to take your next step step of faith, and I wonder what it is. So let me pray for you as I ask that God would set us free today. Today's sermon is going to be about freedom, about liberty, and I wonder what are the things that God would set us free of today? Is it our argumentative spirit? Is it pride? Would God set us free of laziness or idleness? Would he set us free of lust or greed or some addiction? What is it that God would set you free from today? Maybe, just maybe, maybe there's somebody in the sanctuary this morning that as you've come to worship the Lord and we're about to break the word together and open the scriptures and God's spirit will begin to speak to us as he's been working in song, now he'll work in the word. Maybe, maybe there's somebody here that as you sit here, you know that for you to be set free, you need to be set free ultimately. That you've never given your life to the Lord and you are still a slave to your sins and you want to know how to escape that. Well, today could be the day of your salvation. And that would make us rejoice as a church. So I pray God would do great things in all of you. And I pray that the Lord would bring somebody to salvation today. Okay, let's pray together as a church. Father, we ask for your blessing as we open the scriptures. I pray that you'd show your mercy to us, that you'd be kind to us. Father, that you'd show us the things that are deep inside our minds and our hearts. And that you would continue to purify us. Lord, that you would continue to shape us into the image of Jesus. And in your power of your spirit, you would continue, Lord, to set us free from our sins. That you would bless us, Lord, with yourself, with your presence. That you'd purify us, Lord. That you'd bless our households and our neighborhoods, our streets, our church, our city. God, that you would mobilize this congregation to be a force for good. That we would go out with your spirit. That we would love you and love our neighbors and transform the pine belt for your namesake. We ask your blessings on us now, Lord, as we sit in your scriptures and submit to you. We ask you moving. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 8 will be our main passage for today. We'll jump around a little bit, but it's our main point. Our sermon series that we're in right now in July is called Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. And everybody recognizes life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's kind of the, the core elements from the American dream. These are the things that make us tick. And so, on one hand, we're each pursuing these. All of us want to have life. Everybody here wants liberty and freedom. It's an ideal that's good, and we push on for it. And we all want the pursuit of happiness. We want to be able to build a life for ourselves, to love our neighbors and our friends and our family. We want life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I'm recommending today that God can give that in a degree that no nation can. Second, hey, listen, as a church, we were called to do ministry right here in the Pine Belt. And until God calls you to foreign soil, your mission's context is the United States of America. You are living the gospel and sharing the gospel right in the middle 
of the American dream. In other words, most of the people that we are trying to love and care for, they're pursuing life, liberty, and happiness. And to understand what they're after might help you understand how God can deliver what they ultimately need. And, and lastly, I want to remind us every week that we preach these sermons, that as believers and American citizens, we live in two worlds. We have a dual citizenship. We want to be excellent citizens of our nation. We, we want to be great in every neighborhood in which we live. We want to be the best citizens we can be. But ultimately, our allegiance is with God and Christ and the kingdom of heaven. And if the two ever are in conflict, we bend our knee to Jesus. And so today we want to bring the kingdom of heaven to bear on the nation in which we live and bring hope and healing. So today's sermon is about liberty. Uh, I, Zach, have you, got the, have you got the sermon slides today? Not working? Well, I won't read from them then. All right. You guys know that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness comes from the Declaration of Independence. As John Adams penned it, and as the five editors edited it, and as the 56 signers endorsed it, men got together because they believed that it was time to establish their independence from Britain. They believed that King George had, George had become a tyrant. They believed that there were enough offenses that they didn't feel free anymore. And the desire for freedom filled many boats with immigrants looking for a new life as they mostly went westward, looking for freedom. Freedom makes us tick. We want freedom. And some of you guys grew up in the 60s and 70s, and half the songs you sang were about freedom. Bob Dylan or Janis Joplin or whoever the next poet would be, we're all looking for this elusive dream, freedom. It's not gone. It's, it's still here today. Every child in the church, every child in the church faces that tension. You know your parents are in charge of you. But in some way, there's this spirit inside you that wants to say, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> yes, they can. <laughs> but you feel that, don't you? You want to be in charge of yourself. We don't want anybody else to tell us what to do. We want to be free. But I want to tell you today that the freedom that we chase for, it's not enough. It's halfway there. I want to read a definition of freedom for you. Freedom is kind of a complex word. It's a little slippery the more you think about it. So I want to read a definition of freedom that gives you three meanings for the word. They're all similar. You'll see that the, the semantic domain has great overlap. They're similar, but they're a little bit different. So everybody listen to this definition of freedom. First, it is the power to or the right to act to speak or to think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. So in America, we often talk about the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion. We talk about the freedom for a person to do what they want without the government or somebody else trying to stop them. And there are some great freedoms that are protected that way. A second component of the definition of freedom, here we go, is the absence of subjection of foreign domination or tyrannical government, okay? So that you are autonomous, you govern yourself, you're not a nation that is a city-state governed by somebody else. And that's how the Declaration of Independence got going. Like, that's really what they were after, is they felt like, you know, we remember the mantras of taxation without representation is tyranny. They felt like they were being imposed upon by a tyrannical government. And they said in the Declaration of Independence, our founding fathers said that it is, it is a it is an extreme act for a nation to try to start a new government and subject themselves against the one that governs them now. And it should only be done if things are really bad, but they felt like their freedoms were being so restrained that they had to do something radical. A third 
component of the definition of freedom is the state of being not imprisoned or enslaved. Amen to that. So we're all looking for freedom. And that's good. And I'm glad it's part of the American dream. But I want to push everybody in here to not accept a second-rate freedom. I want to ask you to push for more. First, I want to show you that even in our quest and our desire to be free, and basically to establish a nation whose foundations are built upon the quest for freedom, we have only imperfectly arrived. Let's stop and even just look. I mean, and I'm evaluating some of my own hypocrisy and our own hypocrisy so that I can make a point. The freedom that we think we're looking for, it's not freedom enough. It's not really what our hearts are hungry for. So let me show you just look at that. Zach, you are good, my man. Wish I'd had that when I was reading the definition. But now, the freedom, because I don't want to remember, the freedom that we're after is it, it's not exactly what we're looking for. Let me show you. So those first men and ladies that got on those boats and came here for a free world, right? The boats were populated by an awful lot of indentured servants who were not free. They came here to work as a servant for somebody until they became of age. But they had a period of time when they were not free. They belonged to somebody else. And, and not only that, but from the 1600s until the 1900s, in our nation, many men prospered on the slave trade. We created a nation built on the principles of a desire for freedom, and yet we owned slaves and profited on it. Not just slaves from the triangular slave trade in Africa, but even in the Native Americans. I want you to stop and think about this. Like In my heart, I feel like one of the greatest atrocities in our history, and everybody's history has some black eyes. So I'm not beating us up. I'm just being honest that my history has some black eyes. Everybody's history does. And even in our nation, when we wanted the land that we love, we took it. And we can find the previous occupants to small reservations where they essentially became imposed upon by people who appeared to them to be a tyrannical form of government. Today, the headlines that you and I read are populated by a cry for us to figure out some way to correct mass incarceration where people are truly imprisoned and can't get out. But that's not all. Let's just keep scooting back. That's not the only way that slavery has marked not just our nation, but even our own lives. There are a lot of people who are not behind bars that are slaves today. And, and it's not just a problem with those who are poor or stuck in cycles of poverty. I would imagine that some of the wealthiest men and women in our nation feel as if they're slaves today. Slaves to their jobs, slaves to other people's expectations, slaves to their own fear, slaves to their parents' approval. In fact, there's an awful lot of people that if we were able to give them every form of freedom they wanted today, they would feel enslaved again tomorrow. Open the doors of a prison cell, let a person go free. But unfortunately, what often happens is the person goes free, but they're free from the county jail, but they're not free from the sins that got them there. And addictions or bad habits or a world that collapses on them puts them right back where they were, and they're behind bars again, and that is just a metaphor, just a picture 
for the kind of slavery that we live in day after day, not just to a government, not to a penitentiary, but to our own sins. Ultimately, God wants to give you freedom that no country can. Ultimately, God wants to set you free in a way that you don't have to fear anymore, no matter what happens to you. There are men and women who are behind bars today, but are free. There are men and women today who are poor, not a dollar to their name, who are free. There's a freedom. A freedom from fear, a freedom from sin, a freedom from guilt, a freedom from worry, a freedom to know that you're adopted in God's family, a freedom to know that no matter what men's hands do to you, you're beyond their reach because they can't stop you. The death, death and the grave can't hold you. You are free. And I want to talk about that today. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 8 as we're searching for freedom. In John chapter 8, Jesus has been preaching. He's just finished a great number of sermons at the Festival of Tabernacles. People have hung on his words. He's proclaimed that he's the light of the world. As he's told them that he's come to give water to all who are thirsty. Living water. He is living water. And on the ends of these sermons, people are beginning to believe. But he's still surrounded by religious people who knew God but were not free. Religious people who knew God but opposed Jesus. And in, in the verses that we're going to read, when it says they, there's going to be this opposition group. People who thought they were free, but they weren't. People that might be like you or might be like me, they thought they were free, but they're not. Let's read together in John chapter 8, verse 31 and following. This is what the Bible says. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then... You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, these are people that thought they were free. So watch their response. In verse 33, as Jesus is teaching these believers who are following him, you hear the voice of the crowd, the they, these hard-hearted, religious, unrepentant members of the Jewish temple, temple cult who are speaking back to Jesus, and they're saying, we're not slaves. So watch this in verse 33. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? This group reminds me a little bit of myself and a little bit of us. As Jesus stands in the middle of our world, standing at the temple, and begins to speak to those who are first putting faith in him that are being set free. He says, if you believe in me, you're going to find the truth. And the truth that has come from God is going to set you free. But the response from the crowd was, I'm not a slave. I am in charge of myself. I'm free. What are you talking about? Well, probably these people, as they say, I'm Abraham's descendants. We're not slaves to anybody. We've never been slaves to anybody. Probably if they thought about slavery for a moment, they could remember that in their history they used to be. For nearly 400 years they were slaves, and then after that they were slaves again. They were slaves to the Egyptians before Moses got them out in the Exodus. They were slaved to the Assyrians after the ten tribes were conquered. They were slaves to the Babylonians and then the Persians in the east. In their history, they'd been slaves. But the moment, the pinnacle that defines the, the freedom from slavery for them would be the day that God heard the prayers of the Israelite slaves in Egypt. So they were making bricks because 
Joseph's descendants had found themselves to populate Egypt and bring fear in the heart of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, they're a threat. Let's make them slaves. And they were. And as he began to impose himself harder and harder and press on them more and more until their slavery was really beginning to be a burden in their soul, they cried out to God and God set apart Moses. And you know the rest of the story. God said, I heard the cries of my people in slavery. I want to bring them out so they can be my people and I will be their God. God sends Moses and the ten plagues. And the scriptures teach us that as, as Moses brings the plagues, the, har- the arm of God is stretched out over Egypt and he shows himself stronger than the gods of Egypt, stronger than Pharaoh, and he brings his people out of the slavery they were suffering in. And that became a paradigm, a picture, a snapshot of what God ultimately wants to do in Jesus. He sees us, and He knows our slavery. He knows why we suffer and how we suffer. He knows the things that seem to conquer our heart. He knows the things that haunt us. He knows our fear of death. He knows what's got us enslaved. But in Jesus, God has come to liberate us with a liberator greater than Moses. And if the truth sets you free, you're free indeed. But the first step is you and I have got to get past these guys. The hecklers in the crowd. The hecklers that look at the gospel of Jesus and say, I don't need it. I don't need the freedom that the truth of Jesus is bringing to me. Because from where I'm looking, from my perspective, I'm not a slave. I'm free. I'm an American. I'm blessed. I'm prosperous. I've got to warn us. That probably for a lot of people in this room and for a ton of people in the land that we love, the biggest roadblock, the obstacle for them today is that they don't know they're slaves. They think they've got it all together because they're not as bad as somebody else that they can name down the street. The truth is that's deception. That's a lie. The problem that a lot of us have in the country today is that we don't think we need Jesus. We are just like these people around Jesus. I don't need your gospel. I'm not a slave. We don't recognize our own slavery to our sins. I know as a boy when I heard the, the parables that Jesus would teach about how, how a good shepherd would leave 99 righteous, healthy sheep to go find one lost sheep. And then at the end of the parable, Jesus would say that God cares more for one sinner who's saved than for 99 righteous people who don't need to be repentant. I used to get offended by that. And I would think, well, why would he leave me? Why would he not be excited about me and my 98 buddies? And it was before the gospel had its work in my heart, and I realized, you fool, you're the sheep he's looking for. At the right moment, he went out and found you. My self-righteousness has blinded me to the gospel. And I wonder if we are like these sons of Abraham who say, I'm a Baptist, or I'm religious, or I live in Petal, Mississippi, or I'm intelligent, I've got a college education, I got an excellent job, I pay all my bills, I got great vacation space. Trust me, I don't need help from God. I don't need to be set free of anything. I am free. Let's keep reading in verse 34. Jesus replied, very truly, I'm going to tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. It's a powerful word. I have felt the reality of that, and you have too. We felt overwhelmed by sins that we couldn't shake. 
And we could talk about how we're a mature believer and we've become self-reliant in our faith. But the truth is, if we scoot back, we don't have to look very far to see how badly we still need the grace of God and the transforming work of Jesus Christ. Scripture has something to say about this. I want to ask you, if you will, turn with me to the book of Romans. Paul the Apostle addresses our sin, our slavery to sin. In verse 16 of chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 16 and following, I'll read the text and you listen. Listen for Paul's teachings about our slavery to sin. And ask yourself, are you a slave to sin today? Or have you made yourself a slave to the living God? Verse 16. Don't you know that when you, are, when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God. That though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to open your heart, to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin. You've become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. But what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For those of you who have already asked Christ for salvation, for those of you that remember today the moment that you, like Aubrey, walked through the waters of baptism confessing Christ, I want to ask you to remember the day you gave your life to Jesus and realized that you were set free from your sins. You were set free for holiness, for eternal life. And probably what we need today is a reminder of the power of God's grace. To remember that we're set free and live like free people. To stop feeling as if we live under the burden of guilt and undoing the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. What we need to do is stop and realize that if Jesus Christ has set you free, you are free indeed. Live as free people. Delight in the glory of God. Let Him transform you. Let His Holy Spirit bring you to a place of holiness. Let Him mature you into the image of Jesus, transforming you more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Probably what some of us need this morning is to remember that we've been set free. And I know that you still wrestle with sin, that you still struggle. But I need you to know that ultimately you have been set free by the power of Christ. And though you still labor to be free from the sins that enslaved you, you are innocent in the eyes of God, adopted into His family. There's a place in heaven for you. And the Holy Spirit is claiming you, marking you, sealing you, keeping you, gifting you for service. You are His son. Don't live like a slave. Live like a daughter. Live like a son. Live like part of His family. The Scripture says in 2 Peter about the same idea that we're slaves to the sins that own us. 2 Peter Chapter 16, there have been false teachers that are telling the church that there is no such thing as sin, that they can do anything they want because they're free people. 
It sounds very much like the mindset that we have as a nation sometimes. It also sounds like the mindset that plagues us through our adolescence. So if you are 14 through 25 years old today, please grab a hold of these verses and bring them in. Adults don't ignore them, but I want everyone to hear that the idea that you are free to do what you want is an illusion. What you're free to do is this. You are free to decide whom you will live your life for. You're free to accept the rule of God over you. Or you're free to reject Him and live for anything else. For your pride, for your nation, for your family, for your fame, for your fortune, for the sins that control you. The problem is, ultimately, freedom is a bit of an illusion. As mortals, our lives are short, and we were not designed to be free. We were designed to be free to choose whom we'll serve. And if you choose to serve the living God and be adopted in His family, then you will no longer be a slave, but a son and a daughter. But if you fight against that, resist that, and say, I don't want some God trying to tell me how to live, you're choosing for yourself to be a slave to another master. I read 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. They mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. We should hear verse 22. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit. And a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. In Second Peter, the scriptures preach against false teachers in the church who said there's no such thing as sin. Don't worry about sin. Sin all you want. It's really not the problem. And the author of this letter reminds you that that's an illusion and that's a lie. That we are sins to whatever has mastered us. And I'm calling us today to choose a better master. I want to ask you to read with me in verse 35. Now as a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. These hecklers, these doubters, they believed they were free enough. And they saw the gospel of Jesus Christ as an offense. In fact, they wanted to kill him because they thought he was imposing on their freedom to run the temple. But I want to ask you to reflect with me on verse 36. Jesus said, So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. My hope is that we would be free indeed. Not just free from a prison, not just free from good King George, 
but that we would be free. Free from hell, free from a fear of death, free from the guilt of sin. I want to put before you that I don't believe anybody has the freedom really to rule themselves. You will be ruled by your sin or by some other overlord. Or you'll be ruled by the living God that loves you. But I want to tell you that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you surrender yourself to the glory and the love of God, to the work of Jesus Christ and his cross and his resurrection, you'll find that the vision that God has for you is not to make you a slave, but a daughter and a son. And I want to ask you today, are you still running from the God that came to set you free, to set you free indeed? Or is today the day that you'll declare your freedom? Have you ever thought about this? The signers of the Declaration of Independence, they took a risk. It's a big step. I mean, I realize that there was already great tension and have been for over a decade among the colonies. But for 56 people who signed the bottom of that document that says, I am no longer ruled by King George, they took a huge risk. Their names were printed and published. And if this didn't go well, if the revolution had worked in reverse, those 56 people, they couldn't hide. They came to a point in their life when they were willing to draw a line in the sand, to stand up and be counted, to declare their freedom, and to say there is now no turning back. And I just want to ask you as you reflect on your life before God, have you come to that moment where you were willing to declare your freedom and confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, where you signed your life over to Christ, where you confessed in the waters of baptism that Jesus is your Lord and you don't care who knows it and you don't care the cost but you declare your freedom in Jesus if you haven't I want to call you to that this morning before you leave the church would you ask Jesus Christ for forgiveness ask him to adopt you into God's family let us pray with you let us share with you we want to see you declare that to the world in your baptism we want to see you free from your sins walking with Christ we want to know that we'll live together in the kingdom of heaven. Are you, have you had enough yet? Are you ready for the freedom that only God can give? For some of you, you're believers, and you know that you've declared Jesus, but you still feel plagued by your battles with sin or doubt or frustration. And I pray the Holy Spirit would give you relief and give you company and bless you in your suffering and help you fight the good fight. But I'm calling our congregation today. Take your next step of faith today. Surrender to the Lord and enjoy the freedom that only He can give, ultimate freedom. Let me pray for you. Father, today as we reflect on the scriptures and we read John 8 together, we confess that we are not like the doubters. We know that we need to be set free. Father, we know that our heritage or our religion hasn't freed us. Only Jesus Christ can. And so, Father, we throw ourselves on the cross of Christ, on His cornerstone, in the gospel. And we pray, Lord, that You would set us free in Jesus. I pray, Lord, that today, if there's anyone here who's making their confession of their faith in You, who's asking You for salvation for the first time in this worship service, God, I just pray that Your Spirit would flood their soul, that You would set them free and redeem them, Lord, for Your own glory. Father, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters who are free indeed, free in Jesus. 
that you would help us to realize that you are the vine, we're the branches, and that we would learn year by year, Lord, how to live in our freedom, how to delight in your rescue. I ask for your blessing over us, Lord, as we learn to walk the path of Jesus. As a church family, Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to lead us in our response. We ask for your grace in Christ's name.